Okay, Google, play the Sideline Hustle podcast. Sure, the Sideline Hustle football podcast. Here's where you left off. What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Drew Lieberman. I'm slow packing. <laughs> Our days here are numbered. Even the way we've come up in the world, think about it. We've created the website ourselves. We've made this podcast ourselves. Like everything's been done just by us hustling. And you are now listening to the Sideline Hustle Podcast. We talk about doing this show. Yeah, we, we laugh and we joke and we complain about how hard we work. But if we didn't love to coach, we wouldn't be doing it. I want the good guys in. Get them out of there. I want the good guys in. To me, I think we're broadcasting the day-to-day life of what college football is. From the sidelines, we gotta hustle cause we gotta eat. From the sidelines, we got some goals that we still gotta reach. Yo, 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 this is Drew Lieberman bringing you a special Throwback Thursday edition of the Sideline Hustle podcast as we talk about summer recruiting camps. This episode was originally released almost one year ago, our second episode ever produced. And one of the coolest things about what we've done with the podcast is that we've selected topics that are evergreen. Uh, We don't spend a lot of time analyzing rumors or breaking news in college football. Instead, we discuss the business and lifestyle of players and coaches so that our content can remain relevant and educational for years to come. Episode two, like I mentioned, we discuss the inner workings of summer recruiting camps. Uh, The Sideline Hustle team shares their experiences as coaches, organizers, and athletes at these camps. As we reveal what coaches look for during recruiting camps, advice for young players, attending these camps and and much much more i'm joined by the guru former maryland head coach ralph Frigian, don bosco head coach and former nfl quarterback mike teal former rutgers quarterback gary nova and former boston college recruiting coordinator leo farine summer camps are an essential part of the recruiting process for players and coaches and we give you a behind the scenes look into structuring the camps and the athletes experiences buying to earn scholarships We had this kid, Joe Villano, whose father was an All-American in Maryland. He was a two-star high school player. And I knew his father. I, you know, I coached his father when I was a graduate assistant in Maryland. You know, he came in in one-on-ones, and we had him against the, the number one five-star offensive lineman we were recruiting and who ended up going to Stanford and starting five years at Stanford. Joe whipped his butt every time he went one-on-one. So I offered him a scholarship. Gloria, they're taping this, okay, hon? <laughs> So, um, you know, when I offered him a scholarship, you know, a lot of people got upset. A lot of coaches said, you know, why are we offering this kid? I said, well, hell, you know, he just beat the top prospect we have as offensive line four, four or five times in a row. And then Joe, we, you know, he, we, we signed him in the first two years. He didn't play because he hurt his shoulder. And I told his father, I'm feeding this kid. When's he going to start playing? Hell, the next spring we couldn't block him. And he ended up being an All-American. He's playing for the Atlanta Falcons right now. I never put a whole lot of credence in what how many stars a guy had. For me, it's what I thought he could do. How motivated was he? You know, how how much did he want to be a good player? This is Ralph Friedgen, former head coach at the University of Maryland. Today, I see see a lot of these guys that just get so blown up. They never really reach the potential that they do have because they lose their desire. Everything's kind of put forth for, from them, and how they rate on some internet thing that you know some guy. It probably wasn't even associated with football is giving them a rating that's the thing you want to find out what kind of kid they are and you get a chance to sit down and 
not only visit with him, but you also get a chance to evaluate him in a competitive environment. You know, how is he with his teammates? You know, is he a hothead? How big an ego does he have? How well does he take defeat? I mean, there's all those things that, to me, are actually in some ways much more important than how fast or how tall or how how much he weighs, you know, how competitive he is, what kind of drive does he have? Those are the things that I wanted to know. A, guy, a, a big thing I think coaches try to judge when they have you on campus is how mature is this kid? Like we all know when we have you on campus, we know you're a good player. Yeah. We know what to expect athletically. A big thing we're trying to find out is, is what do you like as a person? How are you gonna, if I make this workout really hard, how are you gonna handle yourself? Like we, we have this, we were talking about this before, how at Duke, David Cutler's philosophy is they don't recruit their camps heavily until the end of camp. Mm -hmm. And they, they grind them all day. They make the workout very hard. They, they coach them just like they're their own players, and they don't really start identifying prospects till the end of camp because they want to see who's still showing out the last 45 minutes. When, when they're tired, it's one-on-ones, it's been competitive all day. Who are the guys still standing and playing at a high level? Because that's indicative of the type of player you are, the type of person you are. And I think you, you can't, like, that stuff is way more important than, than you making a great throw or a great catch. Like that, everyone can do that. And, and you might show up and have a bad day, but if you have great game film and you have a bad camp day, but you handle yourself the right way, Guys will respect that more than than if you know you're you're making excuses and, and all kinds of things like that. And that's what football really is, man. I mean, you know, maybe the first maybe first game, second game, you feel good, but for the rest of the season, you you know, you're tired, you're hurting. Mm -hmm. It's a grind, no question. You know, so um, you know, that's definitely something that you know when the camp's going long, you know, you definitely have your group of guys that are like, man, you know, f this, you know, I don't right. need this, you know, I already right. got like two offers here, man, I don't need this, I'm right. good. That's, you know, yeah. that's that's the kind of thing that'll blow blow off one school, and then you never know, man. Coaches yeah. talk, you never know who There's talks no to whoever. You know, somebody might say, "Why you didn't offer this kid?" Or who knows? Right. You never want to. I didn't offer him because you never want to burn any bridge. Yeah. I went to Pitt, Pitt's camp with Coach uh, Coach Ignetti when I committed there, right? So let's say I went there and I thought I was the man, and blah blah blah. Next thing you know, Coach Wasai gets fired, and then let's say I was acting like a. Coach Ignetti's like, man, I don't even like that kid. He ended up getting the job at Rutgers, so now I'm, I'm at Rutgers, he's there. Right. You know, now, instead of him, you know, kind of rooting for me, like, as a freshman, I want this kid on the field, he could have been like, man, that kid needs the red shirt. Right, just based you know, off that one camp experience. I know him well, he needs the red shirt, he's not right. ready. You know right. what I'm saying? It, it's just different attitude, yep. just of how you carry yourself. Talk to me kind of how your perspective has changed. You know, maybe like, well, take yourself back to when you were 17 getting recruited. <laughs> through what you thought when you were G8 Rutgers and, and uh, how your just perspective on the, the camp process overall, how it's changed and what, and what you think about it. It's completely different from when I went through and, and you know, back in the early to mid 2000s. Hey, what's up guys? This is Mike Teal, head football coach at Don Bosco Prep, former quarterback for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights and the Seattle Seahawks. You would go to a camp and there would only be one or two kids that they were really locked in on and, and you would kind of get a private workout like I was at Boston College in 2002 and Matt Ryan and me threw in the stadium for about an hour just him and me just you guys. and that was it like yeah. there was no like special group it was like us that was that was it yeah. you know and the social media aspect wasn't involved there was no guy who worked for rivals telling everyone you know through social media who was at the camp right. so it, there was a little bit of privacy to it so you know i remember it wasn't me but one of my friends had committed somewhere already and he went to another college camp and the school he's committed to didn't even know so it was just different and back then uh, you can't do that yeah. now it's just it's yeah. just different so you go from that as a player to working as a ga and seeing what the camp is a camp is a production i mean it's, yeah. a, it's an orchestrated production and the amount of work and details that go into it 
to operate, especially with these camps, these one-day camps. It's it's an assembly line. It's about trying to get as many reps and get as, as much production in a short window of time so they can go on and go to the next one. So, you know, thinking about, you know, 400 kids in a camp, you got 65 quarterbacks and you got 45 yards of space. Yeah. How the hell do you organize all that? You know, and, and so as a GA, you see that and you learn that. And, you know, like we were talking about a little bit before, when, when a coordinator or position coach tells the GA, hey, you're running this, you know, organize it, set it up, it's an interview. Yeah, so yeah. you got to do everything you can to make it, you know, function and operate yeah. the best that you can. Did you ever kind of evaluate young coaches at your camp? Like whether, because I know when I was coming up before Rutgers, I tried to do a really good job at a big time camp, hoping that I would stand out as a young coach and potentially be hired down the road. Or even when I was a GA and maybe Ben gave me the opportunity to run the receiver position drills, I took that very seriously as an opportunity to showcase my own coaching abilities. Did, did you ever look at that? Very, very much so. I would always be looking for good coaches. When I got the job at Maryland, in the interview, they asked me, you know, she asked me, the AD, did I have any coaches in mind? I said, well, yeah, I do. I said, I, I have an A list, a B list, and a C list. So she said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, what are we paying? They're all good coaches. I'd hire any of them, but I think some is going to take more money to get than others. So what are we paying? But she was impressed that I had I had a list and I had all the coaches that I thought I could get for you know whatever the price range was going to be. But you know I was preparing to interview for you know about twenty years, so I had all that stuff down. But anytime I saw a good coach or somebody I was impressed, I would I'd put them on my list and I try to put them where I thought at that point in time, and then I'd update the list every year seeing guys move up and down, regulate that list according to what I thought I'd have to pay to, to get them. Now, from the, the high school coach perspective, uh, I think it's ridiculous that kids get offered, you know, in shorts and t-shirts and they put so much stock into it. Watch the damn film. Can they no play doubt. or can they, in, or they can't play? You know, it's going to be pretty obvious. There's, There's no reason, question. you know, a, a kid's a starter for three years and you got to see him going into a senior year at camp. You've watched three years worth of games. Film, yeah. Come on, yeah. you know, do your job, yeah. you know. How, how often would a kid's camp performance change your opinion on him? Like, let's say a kid didn't have great game film but then had a great camp performance or a kid who maybe did have great game film but didn't perform as well at camp. How, how much stock would that weigh for you? It would weigh, but I would go back to a senior year and look at tape. The guy was a workout warrior. If I didn't like him on tape, then, you know, I, he, may go, he may go up in my opinion, but I would still want to see how he played. You know, there were certain criteria that I looked for, you know, like, you know, to me, a, a running back or a linebacker or a quarterback, you know, vision is very important. Can they see? When I came into Rutgers, you know, everybody had questions about Gary. And I think it was after like two practices, I told Coach Flood, I said, this guy has, he can see. You know, the guy, you can't teach that. I mean, the guy either has it or he doesn't have it. Some guys, they, you know, there's just people running around out there. They don't see anything. And they just throw in the people. And, and those are the guys that are never going to make it. At, at a camp, you need to make it as realistic as possible. Shorts and a t-shirt, uh, a lot of kids can, can thrive in that scenario. So giving them adversity, kind of getting on them and, and, and seeing how he reacts to negative criticism, seeing how he reacts to... You know, not being the first guy in the line, just different things to see where he is from a mental standpoint. And, and then ultimately, you know, you got to challenge him to be able to do the stuff that you want to do based on what your system is. You know, if you're 
if you're a spread zone read running team, you got to be doing that stuff in camp. What does dropping back and standing or throwing the ball do for you? I always like to do a pass skelly, and I try to get that at least for the last three sessions of camp. So, you know, for a quarterback, you got to see how well he comprehended, how well he could read coverages, how we didn't make a real, you know, we make play, you know, man free, three deep and, and two deep and, and, you know, try to give them a different coverage every day. And then you, you also saw if the receivers could convert routes and do things like that. So you got a little knowledge how smart the kid, how what kind of football intelligence did he have. And and then you'd also like to find out what kind of kid he is. So you to the top kids, I got a chance to spend a lot of time with them. You know, we'd show them around the campus or whatnot. Yeah, man, they definitely, they roll out the red carpet for you, man. When I went to Pitt, I remember, like, Coach Wonstad was the head coach at the time. I think he was, like, in the shower. And he, like, came out to talk to me and my dad. And, like, he still had soap in his ear. Like, he <laughs> like you can tell he hopped out the shower to, yeah. to, uh, to come see me. And, you know, that kind of said a lot. You know, he's got his Super Bowl rings on the table right. and stuff like that. Right. I got driven around, uh, around the whole city of Pittsburgh. You know, we stopped at, like, the famous places to eat. Mm-hmm. Walked in there. I don't know if they said I was coming or whatever. They had some reserved. I remember they asked me, like, what my favorite restaurant was. And I said, like, the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> and uh, the next time I went down there, they had, like, a whole thing set up. Like, we went to the Cheesecake yeah. Factory, and it yeah. was like, and it was just like really cool. In our camp, kids wore helmets and shoulder pads, which I thought we got a better evaluation of kids because we did one-on-ones and runs and passes. And uh, basically, you're, you're having a camp because you want to evaluate, you know, prospects, even though the NCAA didn't want you to look at it that way. I mean, that's what everybody had to camp for. But what I always would worry about is everybody does pass rush one-on-ones, but, you know, they don't have pads on. I, I'd always worry about you know, your kid comes to your camp and he gets hurt at your camp. That's not really speaking very well for your program. So the biggest problem I had with that, I thought we got a better evaluation, but the biggest problem is the coaches got, you know, overly enthusiastic on And I had to constantly talk to them and, you know, tone it down. I mean, we don't want to get guys hurt here. We want to evaluate them. So, you know, basically you want to get a true height, weight, and um, and speed on them. And then if you want to do you know, any other tests like broad jumps or vertical jumps or all that, you know, then you got some numbers, some objective numbers on a kid. And to me, it still doesn't separate them from um, what they do on tape, but at least you have accurate, you know, the kid is listed at 6'3", you know, you know if he's 6'3", not 5'11". You kind of showed up at a lot of these camps. It seemed like you are a little bit under the radar, a little bit unknown, and earned offers from those camps. Is that something that, you know, you're comfortable doing as a recruiting coordinator now, offering a kid strictly off a of great camp performance? There's no better evaluation than a live evaluation where you can actually see these kids in person. What up? This is Leo Farine, recruiting coordinator at Boston College, former Notre Dame DB, and this is the sideline hustle. I definitely feel it though. You know, these camps, these live evaluation camps are big and important. I had a kid this year that was from Pennsylvania, he's a defensive back. He came from a great background. His father played collegiately at Penn State. Kid said like, hey, I'm gonna get a scholarship coach. He came on an unofficial visit to a spring game in March. He wanted to run a 40 then. He's like, nah, you can't run it then. You gotta wait till camp. So the kid came in June, first week of June, ran his 40, ran in a 4-4 range. Did a thing one-on-ones and hey, he got that scholarship. I definitely like it when kids come to camp trying to earn that scholarship that they haven't already. I like that more than a kid who comes, maybe shows up to camp and he already had a scholarship. For our team, we have 85 guys on scholarship and more than half of them came to Boston College camp. That's that's very interesting. And that, yeah, and that and that also includes one of our players who actually got drafted this year, John Johnson, to yeah. the Los Angeles Rams. 
third round draft pick. He came to camp. He came to Boston College camp and performed his butt off and he got a scholarship offer. And that was his only Division One A Power Five scholarship offer. But that's all you need. All you need is one. The thing you had to worry about is he didn't want to slight any kids either. So uh, because we ran a very fundamental camp and worked on fundamentals, we had a lot of smaller colleges coaches wanted to coach at our camp. And I didn't have a problem with that because we would get kids to come to our camp that would end up getting scholarships at the lower divisions. And, you know, so I, I think that was a win-win for everybody. I'd like to have maybe five to one ratio, you know, if we could have that. If you had 30 quarterbacks, then you need at least have five coaches working with them. I didn't let competitive 1A school coaches in, but I did let the smaller division schools. We had a tremendous ratio of kids that got scholarships to those schools, and that's why all those coaches wanted to work our camps, because it was like recruiting for them, and they knew we couldn't take everybody, so they were looking strictly for their guys, you know, and a lot of those kids went to their schools. So what advice do you give your kids as far as how to take most advantage of the camp circuit. Talk about a kid who's a really high recruit and maybe he's going somewhere trying to get an offer versus a kid who's maybe more under the radar. Is there a different advice? Like, what do you what do you tell your guys now? You've got to be realistic. One, you've got to get in front of the coaches where you have an opportunity to play. If if you're an offensive lineman and you're six foot and you're 225 pounds and you run a five seven, you're not going to be a Division one player. You know, you got to be realistic with that. It's just it is what it is. Do you um, tell them? Do do you kind of sit you guys down and tell them that before? Yeah, it's my job. Right. It's not the burst their dreams or tell them that they're not gonna be able to do it but at the same time you want to have them have an opportunity to go play at the next level every kid that comes through my school will have an opportunity to play at the next level it's just a matter of where it's finding the right place so i talk about going to four or five camps because one if you end up going to 10 11 12 by the time you get to seven eight nine you're shot and and you're only hurting yourself so Going to five camps, identifying five schools that fit your your kind of mold of what you're looking for, and then having two or three that are a little outside, a little bit of a reach. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about non-scholarship, just talking about college. All right, I got my reach schools. All right, here's my kind of sweet spot. And then these are like kind of the fallback schools right. where, you know, if you're a one double A player, you got some D2 school on there, you're good. You're yeah. going to get a scholarship yeah. there. The lower level one A's where I can try to get a reach at you know, uh, a UNC Charlotte or, a, yeah. you know, a, a Coastal Carolina, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but then also going to some of the bigger camps, like the Rutgers camps or the Boston College camps, or the Temple or Penn State camps, at least in this area, where, yeah, Penn State or Rutgers or BC is running the camp, but you got 15 other coaches there exactly. from yeah. the, the CAAs through the NESCACs all the way down to, you know, the, the NJAC, you know, yeah. so you got a little bit of everything. So you're getting exposed. So you want to get as much, much exposure in a short period of time. So you've got five camps, find the five camps where those, those schools are going to be, those five schools are yeah. going to be at the camps that you want to go to. And then if you really like a school, I've got a kid right now who really likes Villanova, go to Villanova, go to their camp. Yeah. Don't just go to Rutgers because they're going to be there. Go to their totally camp. Agree. So, you know, making sure you identify the right places to go and then fitting in the schedule where you're not going back to back, where, you know, you at least have a day in between mm-hmm. the two, um, you know, mm-hmm. where you can do a midweek and then a weekend, stuff like that. We try to divide the players by not only by seniority, but also by skill level. So I made, if it was a guy, maybe a guy like Gary who was a freshman, if I saw he would, he could throw the ball well enough to be with the juniors or the seniors, I'd move that kid up. A lot of the camps now have become so generic. There's a long line of guys. There's a group of guys that you want to get evaluated. There's a group of guys that you know are in the A group, and everyone knows that they're the ones that are getting recruited, and everyone else is over here. That, that's the thing I've got to battle with with my kids. I got to make sure that I call the coaches and make sure that my kids get in the, in the first groups. Now, again, we we have 
all facets of recruits. We have the national kid to the, we have the D3 kid. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to call Coach Ash and ask him to put the D3 kid in the, in the first group. Right. But if we got a, a strong 1AA kid that's got a shot to be a 1A kid, you know, he needs to be in that group. So mm-hmm. that's what I have to do from the coaching standpoint. Talk to me a little bit about structuring the camp, organizing the camp, and like kind of what your mindset is, what your goals are as someone who's in charge of now running a summer camp. Like for me, running the camp now, obviously I work with my operations department too. When you have hundreds of kids that come to camp, we get up to 400 kids, 500 kids that come to camp. The emphasis is on the flow, making sure the flow is, is smooth all the time. When you got a head coach, your head coach is always demanding, but he has so many interchangeable parts that he doesn't notice everything that's going on, and that's a good thing. So you have to make sure that it's all going smoothly, whether that's registration, whether that's the testing, whether that's housing, all of that stuff. So for me, organizing the registration, organizing the testing, organizing, making sure that the top kids are being seen by the head coach, and then also being seen in the interview process in a meeting with him, those are important. The whole infrastructure of a camp and the layout and logistics of everything is planned months in advance. Who's going to come and what guest coaches might arrive and what players in general, whether it's a junior or a sophomore or a freshman, just making sure we get these kids to camp. It's a wild process, man. It's it's wild from a, a GA perspective being like that and just like the gopher, you know, like you're doing all, all those little things, all the busy work, you know, run and get this recruit, sit there and, and you're, you're typing in information in the Google Doc as fast as you can. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to see all that stuff and do all that stuff because by the time you get to lunchtime, you guys having a staff meeting based on these kids and how they ran and you got to make sure that it's in the computer system so that everybody can see it. So whether you got 200 kids or you got a thousand kids, you got to make sure you get all that information inputted by the time you get to lunch. So you got like a two hour window to make sure everything is done. So it's a whole production of people that go into camp. It's amazing how many people it takes to, to run that smoothly and efficiently. Like at Rutgers, my experience, there's like 10 GAs and PDs and like another five recruiting guys and then the ops guys and the recruiting coordinator. It's like 15, 20 guys that are working their off running around sprinting sweating just to get all this everything moving accordingly moving smoothly like it really is a production oh yeah like you say from the GAs to operations to recruiting to interns to volunteers to, to the coaches everybody's involved for the coaches and for the head coach obviously you know they're the most important people it's funny they don't really realize how much goes into the camp until you until you do it what's cr- the craziest thing about football is that there's there's so many different ways to get every job done you know like the way you run a camp, you can do it a million different ways. The way you coach the quarterbacks, you can do it a million different ways. And, and everyone's got their own way of doing things. And you just got to find something that works for you. And that, I think that's what's kind of going to be cool about this podcast and about this this platform, the Sideline Hustle, is just it's just everyone share their experiences, share kind of how they do things. And you bring some more light to how the business really works. But there isn't one way everything works, you know? Yeah, and, I, and my, my biggest recommendation for all of these kids when you're in high school, I don't care if you're a five-star recruit or you're a zero-star recruit. You need to go to camp, whether it's your freshman year going to your senior year. You should go to at least one or two schools, camps, because it benefits you to get taught so many different techniques by college coaches who know what they're talking about, know what they're doing, who have tons of experience. I recommend camp to every single kid to come in and earn a scholarship or to come in and get taught by a coach who had three pro Bowl or four first-round draft picks and all types of different accolades. So every kid plays football needs to go to at least two camps regardless if they have 90 offers or if they have zero. I think, you know, the biggest thing that you can get as a camper out of is if you're looking at the school, you get a chance to sense how the coach is going to coach you. But also, did you get better from a skill-wise 
Did your techniques get better? Did your knowledge get better? You know, are you a better player for going to that camp? If you're not any better for going to that camp, then you kind of wasted your time, really. We went to we went to your Maryland camp my freshman year. Uh, I saw you driving around on the cart. Coach Franklin was running the quarterback meetings. That had to be maybe 2007. That was pretty much my first exposure to being recruited by a you know, big-time program. I remember our, our quarterback couldn't make it to the camp, the starter at Bosco, so I was a true freshman running the varsity, and that was my first time pretty much getting to play in front of the varsity coaches, and I ended up doing pretty well. That was a, that was a great camp for me. I always remember that camp because it was a camp that, you know, I've been to some others after that, and um, I think that was the most competitive one. You know, I think it was something that we really got out of it as a team. You know, we went to another school's camp. I don't know if I want to say the school, but we kind of went there and we're just hanging out. You know, it was hot. Nobody wanted to be there. It wasn't as competitive. And we kind of knew that, you know, whatever happens here didn't really have an effect on us as a team. Did you feel the competitive nature of the uh, made it more interesting? Exactly, yeah. I think that's, that's what grabbed the interest because I think, you know, everybody there is pretty much a competitor. So, you know, somebody says they're better than you or, you know, you see a kid throw a ball and you want to throw a better ball than him. And it gets the juices flowing and it gets people more, you know, engaged in what's going on. So I think that when it when it's competitive camp like that and, and, and energy's up, I think that's when that's when you get the best out of the kids. Well, I had this kid, Josh Allen, who I just gave a whole lecture to my staff that we weren't gonna take any more running backs. We had too many running backs. And then we went out and I fell in love with this kid at practice. He went to Roosevelt High School, which is right down the street from us. So I came in in the afternoon. I said, I know what I said, but we're taking this kid, you know. And he ended up being, you know, he got hurt, but he ended up being a four-year starter for us. And then the other kid uh, played at West Virginia, um, running back, uh, Steve Slayton. Steve Slayton. Yeah, he was great. Wow. He committed to me. And uh, because we had so many running backs, I didn't take him. It was the worst mistake I ever made. Yeah, he had no offers, no scholarship offers. Uh, he was a really smart kid. He ran like, you know, sub four five for us in camp. I mean, he passed it. His tests were great. And I was stupid. I mean, I just made a dumb mistake. And, uh, and after that, I just said, you know, God only made so many kids that could run real fast and had good grades. He'll play somewhere for you. You know, never pass on a kid like that. That's it. That's all we've got. Thank you guys so much for joining us in this Throwback Thursday edition of the Sideline Hustle podcast. Next week, we will release another TBT episode where we discuss everything you need to know about preseason training camp. If you're a fan of this podcast, please let us know. The love from our followers is literally, it's everything, and it's what keeps me going during the late nights producing content. So if you are a fan, share this episode with your friends, other coaches, other players. Make sure anyone who can benefit from from this information and this insight is, is listening to it. And follow us on social media, at Sideline Hustle. If you want to contact me directly, ask me any questions, any of that stuff, I respond to every single message, every single comment, and I'm posting teach tapes and other content at least two to three times per day. The Sideline Hustle has been absolutely blowing up. Uh, We're picking up around 100 new followers a day across all platforms. And recently, we've had some major, major companies reach out uh, regarding sponsorships and and trying to, to hop on board with the Sideline Hustle. So anyone who is listening to this episode for a second time, that means that you've been with us from the start. And I I can't thank you all enough for a full year of unbelievable love and support. Uh, if you've been following us since day one and you heard this podcast when it first came out last August, please, please, please reach out to me on social media as I would love to shout you guys out and thank you publicly for being one of the realest fans ever. 
But that said, I'm out. We have football practice at Don Bosco Prep this afternoon, and I have a lot more content to produce this weekend. I will see you next week. Peace. Back them past days, yeah, them 